Welcome to Three Little Things, a natural health podcast. We've created this space to help you positively navigate the world of holistic and natural well-being, where each week we will explore something new and dive into a diverse range of holistic health topics from all walks of life. As chiropractors, we are equally passionate about helping educate, share and empower you on your well-being journey. Created with you in mind, Three Little Things aims to bring you digestible topics and applicable tools and strategies to help you grow, thrive, and live well. So let's dive in. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Three Little Things podcast. My name is Sarah, um, and like I said last week, Lily, my normal co-host, is out for a little bit. She's traveling around Australia and having a wonderful time. So I've been left to run the podcast by myself, which is great because I get to do what I like and have some fun guests on. So I have another wonderful guest, Joe, and I'm going to get Joe to introduce herself in a second, but we have a really exciting topic to talk about today. We're going to talk about chronic fatigue. And I think, Joe, most people probably know that term or think they know what that term is, but probably don't have a, a good understanding of what that looks like. Um, and as we were just saying before, when we were chatting before we recorded, it's a very up and coming kind of thing as well. It's popping up a lot more um, commonly and it's going to be exciting to dive into this and see if we can help educate and um, give people a few things to think about in the chronic fatigue world. So, Joe, tell us who you are. Who are you and what would you like to share with our listeners? All right. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast to start off. I'm very excited to be doing this today. Um, so my name's Josephine. Much easier to call me Joe. We're going to stick with that. It's too long. <laughs> Um, a fun fact about myself is that I am a rower, but when I started rowing, I used to get seasick. So not a good choice for me and I don't actually like boats. (laughs) Interesting. Bad combination. Has that changed? It has. Okay. Yes. Now that I've gotten a little bit older. Yeah. Also changed. I figured out which foods were making me unwell before going in the water. So we've nailed it 10 years down the track. We're finally got there. Wow, that is a fun fact. I like that. What a journey. Yeah. And Joe, you're an exercise physiologist. Yes, I'm an exercise physiologist um, working on the northern beaches at the moment. Awesome. And um, yeah, chronic fatigue is an area that I really like to work in. I feel like there's a couple of things that can be done. Mm. And um, it's not very well known about, but definitely these skills can be applied to not just people living with chronic fatigue, but other conditions where there might be increased fatigue or even pain. Yeah. And that's kind of what prompted me to reach out to you, Joe, and talk about this is because not only do I have... A bunch of patients at the moment that maybe don't have a chronic fatigue diagnosis but are definitely struggling with that yeah chronic fatigue kind of picture they're really lethargic all the time they're unsure why and they're unsure how to help themselves as well which i think is that kind of sticky point for most people is well i'm feeling this but what do i do definitely or how do i help myself and how do i feel better um and i know we talked briefly and while we're not specifically going to talk about you know COVID as such or long COVID, i feel like this fatigue picture is happening a lot for people post COVID or or during sort of their COVID time um, and their recovery time. So I think it's going to be really relevant to a lot of people. I know it's going to be really relevant to a lot of my patients and obviously, you know, you see a lot of chronic fatigue patients, so relevant to you as well. So let's, I guess, start at the beginning and uh, you want to share kind of what is chronic fatigue? Okay. So chronic fatigue syndrome, um, or you might see it written as ME slash CFS. So it's severe fatigue that is really impacting someone's activities of daily living and their ability to just do the normal things that they do in their everyday life. Mm -hmm. It's also really importantly not improved by rest. So sleep is unrefreshing and no amount of rest in the world can make you feel better. Mm -hmm. And so people get stuck in this catch-22 of I'm so tired, I can't do anything, I'll rest more that didn't work, I still feel awful. And so when rest doesn't help you from your tiredness, what do you do? 
And so that's what we'll talk about today a little bit later. There are different management strategies, um, but it's got a couple of characteristics. So I'll run us through them quickly. Um, It's not a feeling of weakness or necessarily sleepiness or motivation loss, but it's just feeling drained in energy. Um, It's often worsened by physical or mental activities, such as walking down to the shops or having Mm. a shower, um, doing your normal school or work day. So those cognitive activities as well can have an impact. And symptoms are often worsened after those activities. So you have this post-exertional malaise or really being impacted after doing those those activities. And there are different diagnosis criteria. Um, The one that is kind of commonly used, um, the Center for Disease Control in America set out six months, but depending on the criteria that you were used to be diagnosed, some things might be a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah, so it can take six months for a diagnosis of this. Yeah, and yeah. Um, normally longer because yeah. uh, chronic fatigue syndrome is a diagnosis by exclusion. Mm-hmm. So you have to run all your other blood tests, all your other things, and basically you can't have any of those other conditions yeah. that might produce fatigue, say depression, yeah. or another inflammatory condition like arthritis or something like that. Mm. So diagnosis by exclusion, everything else has to be ruled out. Yeah, okay. So it can be quite a big journey from big start journey. to diagnosis. Yeah. 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 Um, and do you find, Joey, that a lot of these patients are quite frustrated by the time they get this diagnosis? Oh, definitely. Yeah, they're yeah. kind of at the end, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and often once you receive this diagnose, diagnosis, it might come with um, and there's really no cure for it. And yeah. that is not a nice thing to hear, no. especially if you do feel you know, really impacted by it. Um, and even just your normal activities, taking a shower, washing your dishes, if those are really hard things to do, then it's very exhausting to be living Mm. with. Yeah. Um, And is there certain things that cause chronic fatigue? There is. Mm -hmm. uh, There is no proper known cause. There are suspected things. So we often talk about um, things post-virus and post-infection. So that's a really big one. And then apart from that, it's really yeah a big open space a lot of research gone into it yeah yeah Yeah. which kind of as you says comes with that label of there's no cure Mm. and then people are like well now what do i do because people don't want to feel like that Uh, or most people i don't think no (laughs) no absolutely not. yeah and the another defining characteristic is that it has an onset point so it's not that you've felt like this for your entire life yeah um they often can identify, you know, after this rough time period, it started happening. So it's different to how you usually felt or how you felt in your previous years. Yeah. Yeah. So whether that was a big event that you burnt out from like a sporting thing, um, really just hypotheticals at the moment, but Mm. yeah, Yeah. definitely had an onset and then you've been affected by it since. Yeah. Um, and is it, are there some days that are better than others or is it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, we'll talk about it later, but often kind of like a boom bust pattern happens. So on the days that you're feeling really good, you might try and do everything because you might not know when you're going to have another day. And then of course you're going to crash and that's kind of the energy pattern that's going on there. Yeah. So even just that is something really useful to identify. Um, but it is quite common to have, yeah, periods of more energy and the periods of exacerbated symptoms. Mm. Yeah. And is this more common in men or women? Is Definitely more common in women. women? Yeah, for sure. Yes. Yeah. And I would say uh, younger people, like 
early 20s, late yeah. teenagers, and then into, you know, 30s and 40s yeah. um, is a common age of diagnosis. Yeah, and again, there's no real reason for that. It's just the pattern that's seen. Yeah, yeah. 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 At the moment, there's just not there's enough nothing, research. right? Yeah. yeah, which makes it really tough. It does make it tough, yeah. definitely. And then kind of backtracking a little bit, but not really, how did you get into this area? Is there, like, did you have a link to this personally, or did you just sort of dis- discover an interest in it? Yeah, I don't have a personal link to it. It was covered in our topics at university yeah and I really just thought it was such an interesting way of thinking about applying exercise physiology yeah it's um kind of really different to what we normally do we're normally trying to get people to pace up their activity quite quickly so they can get health changes yeah but in this group it's totally different because you're thinking about normal daily activities and yeah you know your energy is kind of one whole parcel or envelope um and in the clinic, I've seen how applying these strategies can really make a difference to people's lives, and that's very satisfying for me. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, especially really when people cool. thought there was nothing that they could do and they were kind of stuck in a cycle, but yeah. just like a slightly different approach yeah. um, can really be beneficial. Yeah, and that's like the number one reason that I was so excited to record this podcast was that there is things people can do, and to give people that information and just that sentence in itself is really valuable. And yeah, it's exciting to think that there are people will listen to this and go, I can do something. I can see Joe. I can go and see someone like Joe and I can get the help I need to feel better. And that's, yeah, as you said, very satisfying. Very nice to be able to deliver that to a patient. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of touched on it before, but this is obviously different to normal tiredness. Yeah, Yeah. it is. So normal tiredness is normally improved by rest. Chronic fatigue is not improved by rest. It's also um, significantly worsened by your other activities, disproportionate to the activity. Yeah. So if I was, I mean, I did this the other day, I went out <laughs> and I did a 10 kilometer row. I was really tired. I was wrecked for the rest of the day. I had a headache. Yeah. That was a large amount of activity to be doing for me. Yeah. So the amount that I was tired was proportionate to the big event that I did. Mm. It would be like doing something, unpacking the dishwasher and then being on the couch for the next four hours. Yeah. Something that is really generally not that taxing and perhaps not taxing to you before the onset of this condition. Yeah. And it really can wipe people out for hours, days, possibly even weeks that these um, periods of really low energy can go on for. Mm. Um, There's also really commonly sleep disturbances. So having broken or shallow sleep hypersomnia so sleeping a lot and also Mm. inappropriate sleep time so not having any energy during the day and then having a really late bedtime like maybe 1 or 2 a.m yeah and then you're not getting up until 2 p.m so Mm. you're even missing those daylight windows and I know you know a lot about that and circadian Mm. rhythms and yeah and such so that's another key feature yeah um and also the cognitive impairment side of things so difficulty concentrating talking slurring your words um, problems finding words and numbers slower responses and short-term memory like problems can be really key in this group so yeah. just way more severe than you would yeah like super impactful tiredness. right like yeah. you just think about some of those key things that you said there and that is 100% going to impact their entire life oh definitely it's really hard to hold down a normal job or caring duties that you might have for your family completing schoolwork as well which is such a high cognitive load trying to learn anything yeah just becomes very challenging yeah and I mean not really the topic for today's podcast but as a society we're not really set up to support that 
really are we like you know there's a very clear idea of what work looks like and what school looks like you know you're there from eight till five let's say or obviously a little bit less for school and you're expected to meet the demands of that job or that workload um we don't really have and maybe it's from a lack of understanding and a lack of research in the area but yeah we're not really set up as a society to live with chronic fatigue like to support people that are living with chronic fatigue yeah or any other um you know serious health condition or disability we live in a a world that's defined by neurotypical people and yeah you know the concept of healthy and able-bodied so there are not enough features for people who maybe don't Don't fit those categories yeah for sure yeah so yeah you've obviously very clearly defined the difference between chronic fatigue syndrome and just normal tiredness that all of us are going to experience yes all the time yeah um for a range of different reasons but there's some there's clear differences definitely yeah Yeah. and Mm -hmm. having um periods of your life which are more tiring that are proportionate to activity is very normal yeah and you could apply some of these strategies to help you with that as well and maybe just identify some patterns that you're getting into but this is this is significantly um affecting people's lives when they when Mm. they've got this condition yeah and you started talking before about it the diagnosis of this is obviously a bit tricky yeah so diagnosed by a doctor um it's tricky because symptoms can be really varied between patients um and again, there are different diagnostic criteria. Yep. Um, so questionnaires can be used by practitioners like myself to kind of measure someone's level of fatigue, not as part of a diagnosis, but some of those can look like a sphere questionnaire or the shoulder fatigue scale, the SF36, um, and a patient-specific functional scale. So if you're an EP or a physio or a chiro working in this area, yeah. those are some really useful um, measurement tools to use. Yeah. Because it is subjective, you can't feel what that person's feeling, um, but because it is a lived experience, it's helpful to try and measure that somehow. Mm. Questionnaires are a good way to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Great idea. Um, and so obviously that taps into, you know, working with obviously health professionals is important in this area. Yes, and yeah. normally if a health professional is interested in it, they'll have it on their bio. Yes. Otherwise, it's really helpful just to call up the clinic and ask if anyone has experience working with that population or has done extra study in it. Because um, even if it's not listed on there, but you are looking and seeking mm. for help, it will be out there. It's just, it does take a little bit of effort to find to it find sometimes. Them. Yeah, that's a great tip. Mm. Really good tip. Um, and we'll pop in the show notes how they can find you as well because even if they're not in the area and can't come and see you I'm sure you've got people that you can refer people to yes. elsewhere or can help that person find someone yeah definitely yeah. Um, so we will do that I'll pop, pop all of Joe's um, details in the show notes so I know I'll get that question so <laughs> I'll just say that now um, yeah okay so a pretty yeah lengthy diagnosis um, a tough diagnosis like we said before you got to kind of exclude everything else yes yeah 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 Cool. So what else do you want to share with us about chronic fatigue? What's next? So what's next is I think identifying whether um, a boom bust pattern is prevalent is really important. Yeah. So maybe once you know you have the diagnosis, uh, what do you do next? Yeah. So if you start working with a health practitioner like myself, they might apply different management strategies to you. For me, and the way that I approach it, is the first step is to identify what's actually going on. Yeah. Um, because reporting to you in the session and giving you health history is really excellent, but often things are missed out and it's hard for me to conceptualize how it actually affects you day to day just by talking to you for one hour. Yeah. So the first step is information taking, and that might be giving you an activity tracker to take home. And I generally get people to do this over 
one week or even two weeks if they can. Yeah. And it will be laid out something like 6 a.m. till 10 p.m. Yeah. Um, in hourly blocks, uh, Monday to Sunday. And then I'll get people to fill in the activities that they're doing. So it might be like sleep, arrow down until yeah. 2 p.m. And then reading or having breakfast or whatever it is throughout the week. I'll get people to write down their total steps. There'll be a box for how tired someone's feeling on a scale of zero to five. And I've had feedback that five is not, not enough. <laughs> enough on the scale. So maybe I need to change that. Yeah. <laughs> they get to write, write minus 10. Yeah. yeah. Um, any pain that they're getting. Mm. And because pain is also associated and different muscle sensitivities with this condition too. Um, did I say their steps already? Yeah. Yep. So steps, fatigue, pain, and then general mood yep. or kind of energy levels and they can interpret yeah. that how they want to yeah um and then once we've got that picture of what someone's week looks like we can identify what's actually going on yeah so it's quite common that someone will maybe have a day of 500 steps on monday 400 steps on tuesday mm. and then wednesday oh, my energy is like a five out of five for some reason i'm feeling mm. really good my mood's like a four out of five we go up to 2,000 steps yeah. or 3,000 or 4,000 because they've used that high energy day to go to the shops and get their shopping, their groceries, come back, clean up the kitchen. <gasps> oh, looks like I still have energy. I'm going to go do the washing. Yeah. And then the next day after that, it might be 100 steps, 50 mm. steps, mood in the ground. Yeah. Fatigue way down like adding those minus numbers onto my scale yeah and there's no real reason for this boom and bust kind of effect is there like there's no real um educational information out there about like why these days happen and there's no necessary pattern to it either like might happen once a week or might happen once a month like is that kind of the idea it's pretty yeah, yeah. as far as i'm aware of there's yeah. no um yeah real evidence to say why somebody might start mm. feeling more energetic on a certain day yeah but i can definitely understand wanting to do more on your energetic days yeah uh, especially if your basic activities of daily living are really impacted yeah like you've got to be able to do those things there's no way about that you can't most people can't just live their life and not do the washing or brush their teeth or have a shower yeah and you said that really perfectly it's like on those big days where they're doing two or three thousand steps versus their 500 on a maybe a normal day um, they're not doing, they're not, you know, going for a marathon and running a marathon. They're not doing these really, you know, extravagant things. They're just doing daily tasks that yeah. they can't normally do or they don't feel like they have the capacity to do. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, like that's the cycle that they're in, right? Exactly. So you've got this going up really high when you're feeling good and then you're crashing and that mm. crash might last two days. It might last seven days. Yeah. Well. It might last more than that. And that's really individual and specific to the person and what they've done and how they respond to those activities mm. um, in the tracker I'll also get people to write down what whether the task they were doing was a cognitive activity yep. or a physical activity and then grade it as easy medium or hard cool because all of that information helps me figure out okay which activities were, were the ones that were really messing us up and yeah yeah not helping us feel good and how much load is that activity on us? Yeah. And if we know how much load the activity is, then we know how to change it and prescribe it. Just like we know how much load is in a deadlift, how can we change it and make someone better? Yeah. Yeah. Really cool to kind of piece together there where you can get that information. Yeah. Do you find with some clients that 
you know, it's more the cognitive load that takes it out of them and some it's more the physical or is it quite, quite a mix? I think it's quite a mix. Yeah. Um, generally activities like TV watching are not that cognitively yeah. tiring, but then reading or yeah. studying will be very cognitively demanding. Um, but then for the physical side, it really, it can be very varied. Yeah. Um, and definitely asking the person specifically what activities do they find most challenging is important because they're an individual and they're not like the person who just came into your session yeah. before. Correct. Yeah, for sure. And do you find that that activity tracker is quite an eye opener for the patient also? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Unless I've done it 300 times before in yeah. the yeah, yeah, yeah. clinic at yeah. UNSW. But definitely it can be because even if we kind of con- consciously understand yeah. the patterns and routines that we're in, it can be very different to see that on the paper, yep. and especially when you're breaking it down into much more detail. Mm. And even filling out that activity tracker can be a bit of a ask for some patients, but yep. it is super important that they do it. And I think they also find it very rewarding to look at the first time they filled it out versus what they might be filling out two or three months yeah, later. Yeah, that's really cool. I, yeah, yeah I, I was kind of going to ask you that, is that, is there something that you go back with them? And yes. Get, yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, and yeah. particularly also the questionnaires as well, because they're more subjective it might be I feel a little bit of this versus I feel a lot of this mm. scale of one to five and then even just if they started it a lot all the time and it's like red <laughs> yeah. with the whole thing and you look at the the one they completed recently and it's just shifted you know yeah. to that a little bit scale yeah and I think as humans too and I, I, as a practitioner I get not caught in this trap but I definitely experience this of if the symptoms still there or the um you know let's call it neck pain for example is still there then we're not doing our job or we're not sort of helping that patient to act to the full extent, but you know, you're so right. It's, it's all a scale. And if we can, if we're shifting that scale in the right direction, then, you know, we're helping that patient and that patient is doing a wonderful job at, you know, helping themselves as well. Yes. So it's a, yeah, I love all of those things. Cause I feel like it's subjective in that we get to put down the information that we're feeling. Cause as you said, it's a lived experience, but it's, um, yeah, a really good kind of external piece of information or tangible bit of information that you can then look at and go, okay, this is this is how I was and this is how I am. Yes. Which yeah. is really cool. Yeah. And most people can also feel that in themselves and they realize yeah. that they're doing more throughout their day as well. Yeah. So just anecdotal evidence like that is really nice yeah. as, as well. Yeah. Um, that's so cool. The stage after that, what's next? Yeah. So once we've identified that maybe there's a, a boom bust pattern, um, we want to identify an optimal activity um, level and get stabilization of symptoms if possible so that baseline might be quite low mm-hmm. but it's supposed to be low because it's a baseline yeah. so if we are not able to stabilize symptoms we can't progress it up because we're not sure what's flaring us up yeah and what's ruining you know the days in advance and what's what's going on basically mm-hmm. so I might ask people to start trying to stabilize their step count at a number if they're normally doing around 400 to 500 i might ask them to do 450 steps yeah every day not more even if you feel like you're having a good day yeah that's really hard to do because <laughs> why would you not want to move around yeah but if we're getting that pattern of peaking energy peaking steps and then dropping out that's not very helpful yeah so let's just try to do something else yeah um, and normally it will be quite a low goal to start but if we can just get some consistency in routine and that might be one to two weeks, we should be able to start seeing more stable symptoms. Yeah. Um, whether that's fatigue, energy, mood, mm. steps. Yeah. And then after that, once we're happy with that and we're nice and stable, we can start graded activity therapy, 
which is a type of therapy that involves making really small incremental changes to the amount of activity someone's doing to get them towards their goal. Mm. So I'm talking about like a 10 to 20% change every two weeks. Yep. When we pace up by that little amount, whether it's steps or some maybe adding a different type of activity into the day, I like to use steps because it's very easy to measure and yep. not complicated. Yeah. Once we've done that, you can expect an increase in symptoms because we're doing more than we were, mm. but we need that two-week period to stabilize off again. Yeah. And then we go up a little bit more, stabilize off, and so on. Mm. Yeah. That's the theory. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Um, and it's obviously quite a clear conversation with your clients, right, about, you know, you may feel worse or this may happen. Yeah, and that's really normal. Yeah. It's really normal. Just like if um, we were in the gym and we were doing some exercises that you hadn't done before, you could expect to feel a bit of muscle soreness or a bit of DOMS. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's just to do with your energy. Super important message, eh? Yeah. Yeah, I love that one. Um yeah okay so these little increments and do you want to give a few examples of what that might look like is it like you know adding unpacking the dishwasher is it are you working with their daily tasks as well yeah yeah definitely so if they're more of like a teenager and adolescent maybe and there's other people doing things at home mm. really just focus on activities that they like to do maybe it's walking the dog or it's calling a friend to have a chat on the phone because that's a cognitive task yeah um or you know socializing is you need to have energy to do that as well. Yeah. Um, if it's someone who's having caring duties or they need to be looking after the house a little bit more, yeah, it's maybe try and unpack the dishwasher at this time of day yeah. um, and then have this amount of rest afterwards. If I'm adding in an activity for someone, I always try and add in a little bit of conscious total rest afterwards. Yeah. And that might look like, 15 minutes of lying on the floor and staring at the fan. Yeah. Or 15 minutes of sitting at the dining table watching your tea swirl around in the cup. Yeah. Like no TV, no reading. Yeah. Not even like people watching because that's a lot of mental stimulation outside as well. No music, no meditation, like none of that sort of stimulus stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So with the music, that might be okay, especially if people really struggle to rest and turn off. Turn off. Um, But it's got to be like a calming sort of music (laughs) yeah (laughs) whatever calming is for that person yeah right um but something where they can really just for 15 minutes yeah true rest and a lot of the time we don't give ourselves true rest Mm, yeah but that's a really useful tool for helping to manage increases in energy yeah um as well and changes in task because it allows the body just a second to recuperate Mm. whereas things like watching tv reading a book are unproductive rest yeah and they don't actually allow the the brain a time to just quieten down yeah i think um just on that chronic fatigue aside or any of these conditions aside i don't think anyone does that well no (laughs) like i don't i think rest time for most people is like i'll sit and watch netflix definitely for myself (laughs) yeah me too or as you said before people watching which is one of my favorite things to do Um, we don't like traditionally think oh that's like quite taxing on the body but you know you're so right it it really can be yeah it can be um and like you're interacting with the environment i guess as well when you're outside there's a lot of Mm. sensory things going on noises and such yeah Um, but yeah true rest should be really quiet yeah peaceful 15 minutes and it's a practice thing you might not be great at it as you start but it doesn't matter yeah that's normal too (laughs) yeah that's normal so giving it a couple of goes and just seeing if that makes a difference as well can be helpful for people. Yeah. yeah, very cool. I think another thing to move on to is once we've got 
those increases in activity, we can talk about micro and macro pacing. Yeah. So cool. how do we define the activities that we're doing and you know how should we scale each of them up? So macro pacing is kind of looking at your week as a whole. Yep. And trying to figure out if we've got X amount of energy, how can we spread it out over the week so that we're not really taxed after one thing early on because we've still got, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday <laughs> to go and you've got X amount of events on those days. Yeah. And then micro pacing is more about what's going on within that day or within that activity itself. Yeah. And if we can kind of grab a hold of our schedule and start scheduling in a way that is productive for us and what we need at this point in time, yeah. that's really helpful too. Mm. So you might identify through your activity diary that after 7 p.m. you're totally kaput. And yeah. so therefore you're not wanting to cook dinner because you're really tired. Dishes and cleaning is absolutely a no-go. Yeah. And then you start watching TV because you're so exhausted and you know you just don't want to go to sleep at 7 p.m. Yeah. because <laughs> who does that? <laughs> Even though you might really need to. Yeah. And then you're watching TV for four hours or something and you can't go to sleep and then your bedtime's not until 2 p.m. Yeah. So a way to look at those activities is, all right, well, maybe if I have a peak in energy at 5 p.m., maybe I can use that to cook a simple meal. Yeah. You don't have to do a whole cooking fiesta or anything. Yeah. But that might be more helpful to cook the meal at that point in the day. Yeah. And then watch your TV for an hour or two mm. and then actually go to bed earlier. Yeah. Shifting bedtime is a really important step because if we're not up for the daylight hours, then our body's not getting that natural sunlight information and that feedback into our system about when it's time to wake and when it's time to sleep. Yeah. And regardless of whether you think you're a night owl or not, yeah. <laughs> your body hasn't evolved that much from, yeah. you know, back in the day. So yeah. we need sunlight and it's really important for helping regulate our sleep. Mm. You might be able to talk a little bit more to that even. Yeah, no, I think you explained that perfectly. I think, yeah, regulating sleep is a huge component of, I mean, any condition, but specifically these energy-based conditions I think um, and yeah you're 100% right we have not evolved that much that we don't now we don't now need sunlight and the whole night owl or morning person is yeah total bs in my mind it's like you know fun label to put on yourself but um, it doesn't change what we need and what our system needs and it is that feedback of the sun and the best thing you can do for your sleep is get sun exposure first thing in the morning and then um, quiet out the day with dull or dim lights, like that sort of, um, yeah, real circadian rhythm kind of feedback is yeah. super important. But um, yeah, I'm a huge advocate for that. So. Yeah. And those are really cool strategies that you can use as well to help you go to bed earlier or wake up earlier as well. Yeah. Um, especially if sleep disturbances are a really big problem um, for you, then definitely addressing that is important. Mm. I think that it doesn't necessarily have to be a a four hour shift forward in your sleep schedule. You can yeah. shift it one hour at a time yeah. or half an hour at a time, but consistency is really important. Yeah. So even if you don't feel like it and it's just the last thing that you want to do, if you can make that effort to do the half an hour earlier um, to bed and then half an hour earlier to get up, mm. maybe you can have a nap later in the day. That's okay. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. But building that consistency can help change the body mm. I mean the body it needs time to adapt to anything so it just needs patience yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it needs that consistent information this is what we're doing now yeah can you help me adjust to this yeah yeah <laughs> you need to give it a chance 
Yeah. So the macro and the micro stuff is really all about planning the week, planning your activities, looking at where your peak energy times might be through that day or that week. Yeah. And planning accordingly so you can set a routine. Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, during this time, if you've been seeking help and you're feeling like you're dealing with your practitioner and you want to start making some of these changes, I think developing a schedule that works for you and what you need in this time is crucial Mm. it's not selfish and it's only temporary Mm. so these changes don't have to be forever they might be a bit inconvenient for the people around you for the time being yeah but they could really make a difference to your life so that should be a priority yeah I love that (laughs) I think that's really powerful yeah Yeah. I think it's hard to take time for yourself and when you have an ongoing medical condition that you know even if you the people around you love you and they support you it can feel sometimes like you're a burden yeah but you're not Mm. and these are lifestyle management strategies Mm. that will adapt with you as you get better or as you improve your function yeah and as you said before you know it's that slow increments to get to the bigger picture yeah definitely and so your budget of energy now might be like the size of a tennis ball yeah but then hopefully in a year or two it'll be the size of a basketball yeah so it will grow um and the macro pacing in particular is cool because you can look at your your week as or yourself as having one tank of energy so where are you going to put the different energy and if you have identified that some tasks are more cognitively demanding and that at other times in the day you feel like you have more energy you can start to put those pieces of information together and Mm. figure out what's good for you. And again, probably doing like little bits at first. Yeah. Like just because 10 a.m. is a really good time for you doesn't mean you have to do all of your admin work at that (laughs) point in time. Yeah. Yeah. You might split it up throughout the week. Yeah. Setting those boundaries again, like you said, like, you know, not doing the boom and bust, not feeding into the boom and bust. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so it might be less than what you think you can do, but once you've stabilized at that level, add a little bit on. And then you can add it on to you know, all parts of your day, a minute or two at a time. Mm. And then slowly you're increasing what you can do and what your capacity is each week. Yeah. Until you are able to get to what you want to be doing. Yeah. Very cool. I think it's cool. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's cool too. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So kind of once this is all sorted, once we've got the, we've got the activity trackers, people have worked out what their week looks like, they've done their macro and their uh, micro and their macro pacing. What comes next? Because obviously as we go or as this patient goes and with your support, they're going to hit these goals and they're going to start to be able to do more. Yeah. So what kind of happens then? So once you've kind of got your really basic, crucial things sorted that you need to live your everyday life as you want to be able to do it. So maybe that's your goal is to take a shower every yep. second day or something. Yeah. Um, or be able to cook a nourishing meal for yourself twice a week or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Then we can start talking about exercise. So there's no evidence to say that one type of exercise is better than another. I would encourage people to do movement that feels really good for them. Mm. There is not a plethora of information about how exercise itself benefits chronic fatigue. It's more about these activity pacing strategies and graded exercise therapy. So whatever modality you want to choose, we can apply graded exercise therapy to that modality. So maybe you have a dog that you really want to walk more. You could start at walking five minutes a day and apply the same 10 to 20% rule that you apply to your daily tasks. Um, Again, using a week or two to stabilize, expecting a little bit of increase in symptoms during that time. But then if you're okay with that, we can 
move it up and up and up mm. um, in that slow kind of progressive way. Yeah. So, you know, walking, running, cycling, swimming, mm. even. And if you're doing something um, outside, if, if your goal is to get a little bit more sunlight in the morning, say, mm. so it can help with your sleep. Um, you can tag team those two together. So it's kind of two birds with one stone, yeah. which is a nice thing to do as well. Yeah, really cool. And let's say you had a patient that was progressing really well in their program with you um, for their chronic fatigue syndrome, and they were looking at, at being able to you know, do a 45-minute exercise session with you. Like they were actually in a gym or in a Pilates studio or something like that. That's obviously something that's, you know, can happen, right? Yes, It's achievable definitely. for these people. Yeah. 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 Um, and same thing, right? Would you just put them through a graded approach? You'd start really small and build on that as you went? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and even if maybe we did overshoot the mark a little bit, I like to use this phrase that I learned from one of my great professors in uni is flare up and don't freak out. Yeah. We apply this to chronic pain all the time, but flare ups are really normal and you probably should expect them. Yeah. And they're just more information. Mm. So it doesn't mean that you're way back to where you started or you're going to be much worse and all your activity has been ruined. It's just a little piece in time. And with some rest and using the strategies that you've learnt, um, you can recover yeah. and it will be okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I know with me in work, at work, when I'm seeing yeah chronic pain patients, often they recover better from their flare-ups than the previous flare-ups, right? This is so true. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I yeah, I like being able to tell patients that it's, yeah, like you just said, it's just information. I think that's a really cool way to put it. And often your body has adapted enough that it will recover a little bit better this time. Yeah. But if it doesn't, that is okay. You know, it's all progression. Yeah. And what we do with that information is we say, okay, going for that 15-minute wait session when we were originally at a 7-minute wait session was too much. Yeah. So let's do 10 minutes next time Yeah. and see how we feel. Yeah. Um, and every body is different. Yes. So, you yeah, know, those increments are going to be different for everyone. Yes. Which as is, is time frames, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Which is why just that open communication and checking in is really important. Mm. And you can use like an activity diary if you want just a notebook to note down how you're feeling after certain activities. If you want that information for yourself or it's easier to show that to your to your practitioner rather than trying to remember everything. Yeah. 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 Really cool. I okay. love that. Um, and I know like obviously time frames are not something that suit everyone. Like you can't go, yeah, it's going to take you a year to feel good. Um, but I think, and you'll probably have more information on this, just being open to the fact that it's not going to happen super quickly or it might not happen super quickly is nice. You know, yeah. being accepting that, I guess. Absolutely. So yeah. for exercise and, um, graded activity ther- therapy, we've got one trial, um, from the UK, the PACE trial, yeah. 600 and something, participants and that ran for 12 months yeah so it was a long-term study um i would expect that after 12 months of consistent effort your function should be improved yeah um but it is a slow journey yeah but i think looking back for those little rewards like oh it's 11 a.m and i feel like i can make myself a cup of tea right now yeah two weeks ago i couldn't do that yeah is really helpful so i think setting little milestones for yourself can help keep up that motivation yeah um, and this is just a random question that I just thought of, but, and obviously not your domain and not my domain, but, um, food wise and sort of stimulants wise, so like caffeine, for example, and stuff, obviously when we're feeling tired, we reach for those sort of sugary based foods or we reach for caffeine. 
um, would you kind of recommend checking in with someone like a dietitian or having a look at your nutrition as well to kind yeah. of assist this process? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great idea, especially because it is a diagnosis diagnosis of exclusion. We want to make sure that our diet is really supporting nourishment and enough energy to be doing the things mm. that we want to be doing. So yeah. th- that's just, you know, eating your five serves of veg and two fruit a day and yeah, basics, all that general right? yeah. Yeah, dietary information. Um, having enough water, I don't need six glasses of water or anything a day, but <laughs> yeah, those basic things can help as well. Yeah. And just those are really important for your overall health too. So if we can get that under control, make yeah. sure we're not having caffeine too close to bedtime or at night. Um, basic sleep hygiene things. Yeah. Useful to talk to someone whose area that is. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners? I don't think so. We've covered it all. I think you've done a very good job. I think there's so much information in there. Um, Well, our listeners would be very used to you sharing three little things, but Jo threw a spanner in the works just before we hit record and said she was going to put it back on me to take for my three little things to take away from that. And I think that's a really cool idea and probably something we should do with all of our guests because that's the point of it, right? You are the expert in Hopefully this. Hopefully I've communi- this, communicated this information. <laughs> yeah, you have. Um, I, I have a whole lot of things that I want to take away from that, but um, I was jotting down a couple of little things that I thought were really, I guess, prominent and important information for, I think, my patients who have been asking about this sort of stuff, but also just the general population who might be yeah, going through a bit of chronic fatigue or know someone who's got chronic fatigue. Um, and that first one for me, um, and you can add anything to these two, by the way, that you sure. want to clarify, um, but was that real consistency as well? It's these consistent efforts of building these little habits. It's consistently doing your activity tracker so you can know where your points in time are or your points in the week are. Um, but just that idea of consistency, I think, important. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. My second one was, um, and I really liked how you were really clear on it's going to be in small increments. So increasing things stabilized and then increase by 10%. Um, and for some people that might look like an extra 50 steps in a week or in a day. Um, so setting that expectation or being aware of that expectation in yourself that it's all going to be incremental and it's a process. Yeah. Um, and to kind of overlay that, I thought you gave a really beautiful idea of the tennis ball versus the basketball and that idea of we're not going to do that overnight. It's progressive. It's little bit by little bit by little bit. Stabilize where you are and then go again. Yeah. Um, and that taps into my third little thing, which was your, and I'm probably going to butcher the way I say it, but the flare up and don't freak out. Mm. Um, because I think that's super important. We're never going to get from a tennis ball to a basketball and not have a hiccup, not have a flare up or not have something go a little bit wrong. Yeah. Um, and we're I trying love, something new here. Well, that's it. Exactly. And I love how you were like, it's all just information and we deal with that as it comes and then we adjust and we adapt and we learn from that for the next increment that we're going to jump. Um, and I think that's really important information for people to know as patients that are going through this, as practitioners to be aware of and being aware of that for our friends that might be going through this. Um, I was talking to Joe before about um, my first, I guess, experience with someone who had chronic fatigue and it was when I was in quite a high demanding netball um team um or space and i mean most people go oh they're lazy or they're just you know sitting out or whatever it is and um i think being aware of some of these conditions that we haven't had personal experience with is really important for the people that we're around absolutely which i just think yeah that information is awesome because it 
gives you space to be able to ask that person if you can help or if you can be a part of it but just that understanding of yeah this person's energy levels are way lower than mine at the moment and they're doing things to manage that and work themselves up yeah um everybody's on their own timeline yeah for sure know what is going on in everybody else's lives but a bit of grace goes a long way it does it really does so they were kind of my three takeaways the consistency setting expectations and understanding that it's a journey and we're going to do it in increments um and then my last one was the um flare up and don't freak out i think it's yeah wonderful i knew that was a good idea yeah that was a great idea i'm going to use that i'm going to make my guests ask me that more often (laughs) Um, well, thank you, Joe. I thought that was fantastic and really so much amazing information. Thanks so much for having me on, Sarah. You're very welcome. Like I said, I will add in your where people can find you so in the show notes so they can um, get in contact. Um, most of our listeners are from the, from the area, but if you're not, please also still reach out to Joe because I'm sure she'll help you find the correct information. Um, and I'm sure there's a bunch of resources and places people can find information Absolutely. as well. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely a growing area and there's more stuff every year. Yeah, amazing. Well, thanks, Joe. Thank you, Sarah. A quick disclaimer. These episodes are not intended to replace help, treatment or advice from your healthcare professionals. The information in today's podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not designed to diagnose or treat any conditions. This is just a friendly reminder that we do not know you or your child or those around you and therefore do not know your specific needs. Please seek guidance from your healthcare professionals surrounding your concerns.